Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Well, good morning to you. It's always a privilege to be <clears throat> to preach in the, in this church. I get to preach in uh, many other places uh, around the world, and uh, that's that's a privilege too. But it's I said to uh, Tina Cole this morning, I said uh, my favorite place to preach is right here. It's my favorite place, and uh, I love to be here. And uh, and thank you, uh, Pastor Stephen, for the invitation to come and share the word this morning. So let's bow forward of prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have to gather freely when so many in the world, so many believers in the world can't gather like this and yearn for it. We just take it for granted. And, uh, and, and they yearn for it because they see the value in it. And so we thank you for that privilege that we have. And this morning, thank you already for the challenge from Pastor Stefan and in this uh, matter of prayer and even over the last couple of weeks uh, in the in the sermons that have been delivered how you've challenged us about this matter of prayer again to rekindle this matter of prayer in our lives and fasting and so lord we uh, commit ourselves to that now we ask that by your spirit you would move and work in our hearts as we open your word and hear what your spirit has to say to the church in Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, amen. amen. We're in a spiritual war today, and the battle is intensifying. Jesus taught and modeled for us how we should handle it. And uh, for that, we're going to go to a familiar story in the Gospels. And I invite you to read along with me as, um, uh, as I read it. We'll read the entire section here. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. Keep that one in, 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 your, in your mind. He said, he has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon. It's the spiritual warfare. And it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive him out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, there's three problems that I want to address as we, as we talk about prayer and as we talk about spiritual warfare. And the first one is the problem of self-sufficiency. The disciples failed to help a boy who suffered greatly at the hands of a demon who would often throw him into the fire or water. So the desperate father sought uh, Jesus and asked him for help. And, um, uh, but before casting, out the, uh, before casting out the demon, Jesus did what? He rebuked the disciples. Listen to what he says. Um, I, I, I actually did this with, our past, uh, with pastors that I was mentoring in, uh, in eight of the groups this, this week. Obele unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Now, I asked the pastors this question. If a, if a volunteer uh, in your church was ministering to a small group or whatever, and they had demonic problems and oppression or whatever in a group, in somebody in a group, and they tried and it didn't work. Or let's say, suppose one of your staff members did that, or one of your elders did that. Would you uh, quote this verse to them? Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you? 
And I asked the pastors, how many of you would do that? And of course, they all laughed. None of us would do that, would we? Yet that's exactly what Jesus did. He rebuked them instead of encouraging. We would, we would say, oh, good try, especially because we're Canadians, right? <laughs> good try. Good job. That's what we would do, wouldn't we? I would. Um, I've never rebuked anybody for trying. So, but Jesus rebuked them, and now, understand something. We know that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, true? We also know that he exhibited the fruit of the Spirit perfectly, true? And one of the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, according to Galatians. So, something is going on here that it, that isn't readily seen on the surface. And that's what we've got to get to. In private, so the, in private, the disciples came to him and asked, so why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have, what? Help me. Because you have so? Little faith. Exactly. I tell you the truth. If you have as if you have faith as small or little as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and move, nothing will be impossible for you. Now, this is a puzzle. I mean, stop and think. Have you ever pondered this verse for a little bit? This is a real, this is a real puzzle. It's a head scratcher. Jesus says, because they had little faith, they couldn't exercise or cast out the demon. Is that what he said? Because of your little faith. But then he turns right around and he says, if you had little faith, you could exercise the demon. Do you see the problem? Which one is it? Is this a contradiction here? Or what's going on? Clearly, there's something about their faith that has caused Jesus to be very upset with his disciples. What was it? Well, we, let's use the process of, of elimination here just a little bit. It can't have been the quantity of faith. I can hear, you know, television faith preachers getting up and preaching. Oh, if you only had more faith. Amen? And then you go out of here and say, oh, Jesus, give me more faith. <clears throat> that uh, can't have been the issue uh, because he actually said you only need something. He, he didn't say, no, if you had, you know, you had three grains of faith, and if you had had ten, you would have had her nailed. He didn't say that, did he? Uh, he didn't. He just said if you just had one, and it would be so small you can almost not see a, a, a mustard seed. He said that would be plenty. The other thing is, the disciples actually had a lot of faith. They actually did. Uh, they fully expected that the demon would leave. You say, well, how do you get that? Well, it's not that difficult. This wasn't the first demon that they had ever encountered. They had cast out demons before. They were, they were excellent exorcists, you know, they would have made good um, actors in the movie Ex The Exorcist. Because they actually had done it. They were very good at it. Mark says in chapter 6, verse 13, that the disciples drove out how, how many? It tells us the number. How many? Yeah, exactly. Many demons. In fact, in Luke records it, Luke chapter 10, he says they returned, you know, Jesus had sent them out and said, you know, cast out demons, heal the sick, preach the gospel of the kingdom, and so on and so on. They came back and reported to Jesus, well, even the 72 did, and it says, they said, even the demons submit to us in, in your name. They were so excited. They said, this is, this is amazing what we can do. We can drive demons out. We're really good at it. So when they encountered this one demon in a little boy, they're thinking, how hard can this be? They fully expected to throw, cast out this demon. In fact, I, you can just about surmise, 
Peter is saying, you know what, I've cast out so many, John, it's your turn. Or John says, well, I've done quite a few too, Peter. Uh, James, you go ahead and do it. You know, I mean, they were good at it. They fully expected it. That means they had lots of faith. They didn't just have a, a mustard seed full. They had a, a whole sack of mustard seed full of faith in terms of quantity of their faith. So if the problem wasn't the quantity of the disciples' faith that prevented them from exercising the demon, then it has to be the quality of their faith that prevented them. Both quantity <coughs> and quality of faith can be described as little faith. For example, if you say to somebody, or, or, or about somebody, you say, he's a little man. Well, that could mean he's little in quantity of inches. True? True? But you could also derisively say something like, he's a little man. Meaning, he's got poor character. He's, he's got, he's little in quality in his character. Not quantity. Same thing with faith. Faith can be referred to the same way. Little faith can be little in quantity or little in quality. And according to Jesus, it wasn't quantity of faith, but quality of faith that upset him so much. This was the culprit. But still, why be, a, why, why be so upset about it? Oh, we're, com we're coming to it. Their faith was defective in quality somehow, and it was this defective faith that upset Jesus. But what was this defect in, the, in, in their faith? Well, stop for a moment. Every person in the world has faith. Did you know that? Everybody has faith. Teenagers. Young adults. Did you know that? Everybody in the whole world has faith. It isn't a question of whether you have faith. It's a question of what you have faith in. Is that true? People have faith in different things. And that's what Jesus is getting at. You can have faith in God, but you can also have faith in something or someone else. Or you can even have faith in yourself. Isn't that true? You can have faith in yourself. But everybody has faith. They have faith in something. Proverbs 3 says, trust, that's just another word for faith, in the, what? With all your heart, and that's another word for faith. Lean not on your, what? Own understanding. That was the problem with Adam and Eve. Faith in God or faith in their own understanding? Which one, right? That was the problem. That's the age-old problem. Here the writer speaks of two kinds of faith. Faith in God, faith in self in Proverbs 3, 5. And the psalmist says that we can also place our faith in something else. Some trust, that's faith, again, in chariots and some in horses, but we trust or have faith in the name of the Lord, our God. Exactly. Now, when people place their faith in, some, in themselves or something other than the Lord, they fail. That's what the scriptures teach through, throughout, from Genesis to Revelation. The scriptures are all about faith. Do you trust God? Do you trust yourself or something else? That's the whole thing. And when we trust something or someone or ourselves other than God, we always what? We always fail. It's a defect of faith. Our, the object of our faith determines whether we have a good faith or a defective faith. So, when we 
put our trust in something else, we fail. Take a look at verse 8. The very next verse from verse 7 there. They, those that had faith in chariots and horses, are brought to their knees and what? Good. <laughs> okay, you got to work with me. <laughs> they, they are brought to their knees and they what? Yeah, they fail. They fall. But we, those who have faith in God, rise up and? There we go. There's a difference, right? The whole tenor of Scripture is that faith in anything or anyone, including self, other than God, always leads to temporal or eternal or ru ruin or both. That's the whole tenor of Scripture from start to finish. Those who put their faith in God stand firm in the end and for eternity. Those who don't put their trust in God and put it in themselves and their own understanding, their own ways and their own best methods and practices, they will always fall ultimately. How often? Always. You can count on it. That's what he's saying. That's what Jesus meant when he said that little faith, the effect of faith, was the reason for why the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. Their faith had subtly shifted from faith in God to faith in themselves. After all, they had the best training in the world. They had gone to the seminary of Jesus. Master's seminary. True? I mean, who could train... Someone in exorcism better than Jesus, amen? Oh, we, we learned from the best. They had a lot of experience in exercising demons. Is that true? They even had a calling to exercise demons. Jesus had told them in Matthew 10 and 8, you know, go out, cast demons, heal the sick, preach the gospel of the kingdom and stuff. They had it all. They were good to go. They had this under control. They knew what to do. And they were confident that they could drive out the demon. They somehow thought that the power and ability to drive out demons was inherent in them. They could just do it. Like, how hard can this be? We do this before breakfast. We do this after breakfast. This is what so upset Jesus. They had just failed Christianity 101, the most basic tenant in the Christian life. That's why he was upset. This wasn't some advanced theological kind of idea. This was basic Christianity 101. Amen? Do you trust God? Do you trust yourself? Which one is it? And the disciples who he was training to do ministry didn't even get it. And he's going, and I got to leave shortly? And leave, it, and leave the work with them? He's pretty upset. And he had good reason to be upset, don't you think? So, <clears throat> you know, uh, years ago, uh, somebody... Uh, somebody said to my, my wife, um, they said that parenting was like a science. If you just do the right things, the kids will turn out just fine. Huh, you responded just like the pastors did. I had some pastors go, what? Yep. Um, it's true. Now, it is true, there is some truth to it. Only some truth. It's about half true. Now, it is true that if you do not parent properly, like, you got, if you never spend time with your kid, if you just yell at them and say what a louse they are and good for nothings, well, that's not going to help, is it? And, and they probably will not turn out. If you never take them to church, you never pray for them, never tell them about God, never play with them, never connect with them, well, it's pretty true that they're not going to turn out good. Is that true? You, you can just about guarantee that. Amen? 
But just because you do all those things does not guarantee success. Oh, I'm going to put them in sports programs, and I'm going to do this with them, and they're going to do this, and, and, and I'm going to do all this, and then they're going to turn out wrong. That's exactly what the disciples, that's exactly how the disciples thought. Just, for, just the right training, the right methods, best practices. That'll do it. No, it doesn't do it. In fact, it's, it's fascinating that, the story, that this lesson is found in a story about a demon and a little boy. It could have been one of your own children. It could be one of your children. It could be all your children. Satan's after your children. We're in a spiritual war. Did you know that? Yeah. Satan is after every single one of your children because we're in a war. In Mark's telling of this same story, and you, should, you might want to sometime read both of them we, uh, that we just examined. Jesus asked the, the father how long the boy had been oppressed by the demon and the father replied from childhood Satan had dispatched a demon to an innocent little boy that's what he had done and he dispatches demons into the schools and into your homes against your children and your best practices, don't put them away. Oh, no, 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 because then I guarantee you, nothing can save them. Keep the best practices, yes, by all means. But if you think that that alone is going to do it, then you have faith in yourself and best practices and methods, and that's a defective faith. And Jesus doesn't like that. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking? So far, so good. We can't deliver our kids from Satan's attacks and strategies with our best methods and practices and in our own strength. Self-sufficiency is the death knell of the Christian. It's the death knell of the Christian home, and it is the death knell of the Christian church today. Self-sufficiency. It's faith, but it's a grossly defective faith. Okay, now we're getting somewhere, amen? We're starting to, we're starting to get a, uh, a feel for what Jesus is getting at and why he's so upset, but we're not quite there yet. Let's go to the second part. The problem of prayerlessness. In Mark's telling of this story, Though he included the fact that Jesus was upset that the disciples didn't cast out the demon, he, he tells that same story. You'll see it. Mark did not mention that Jesus said it was due to their little or defective faith. He doesn't say that. Mark doesn't say it. Matthew says it, but Mark doesn't. Rather, in Mark's telling... He says that Jesus implied that the reason they couldn't exercise the demon was due to their lack of prayer. For he said in Mark 9, 29, this kind, he's talking here about the demon and the little boy that had attacked the child of his father who was desperate. I think there's a lot of desperate parents today in the church. Wouldn't you agree? They're saying, God, save Jesus, save my kids. Amen? And Jesus says, this kind can come out only by prayer. The reason they couldn't cast out the demon, and Matthew records and says that Jesus said it was a defective faith, Mark says that Jesus said it was a lack of prayer. That's interesting. Jesus wasn't contradicting himself here. He was saying that there's a link between a defective faith and self-sufficiency and trust in other things and, and a lack of prayer. Somehow, he's saying there's a link between those two. He's not contradicting himself. So let's find that link. Well, in Isaiah 31.1, it says, for example, and we could find this in other passages, no doubt, 
Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. In other words, they trust or have faith in Egypt. He's talking about, the, about Israel. Who rely on horses, there we are again, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and the great strength of their horsemen. He says, woe to them. But do not look to, that's another phrase for the word, what? Faith. Exactly. The Holy One of Israel, or seek help from faith, the Lord. There's the answer. Isaiah says, woe to those who rely or trust or have faith in the strength of horses, chariots, horsemen, rather than looking to or seeking help from the Lord. Now, how do we seek help from the Lord? In prayer. There it is. When you trust in the Lord, you seek help from Him not yourself. You see, when you trust in yourself, you look to your own best methods and experience and best practices, and that's what you turn to. And that's what you resort to. When you trust in the Lord, you turn to Him for help. And how do you turn to Him for help? Through prayer. Exactly. There's the link. There's the link. Their defective, prayer, uh, their defective faith was related to their lack of prayer because he, he's implying it. Um, when Jesus said this kind can, uh, can come out only by prayer, he was implying that the disciples had not been praying. Because had they been praying... He wouldn't have had to tell them this kind only comes through prayer. Is that true? Yeah. And he was implying something else. Not only was he implying that they hadn't been praying and therefore they had a defective faith because their reliance was actually in their own experience and their own best methods and practice, but he was also implying that he had been praying and that's why he was able to drive out the demon. You see, you see what I'm getting at? You say, well, is this like, uh, you know, you just tack on a little, is this a formula? Like when you're dealing with the devil, now you, 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 see, a, you see a demon and now you just have the right formula. Okay, well, how does the formula go? Okay, um, uh, first you anoint him with oil, then you put on, uh, in a form of cross, preferably on the forehead, then you say a few words, and then you say a prayer, and preferably you do it with, with a little bit of volume. And definitely in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name! And then the, the demon is going to flee? Is that, is that what he's getting at? This is formulaic? You say a little prayer before, before you do it, and then you got it? No. You know how we know it wasn't a formula? That that's not what he's talking about? He wasn't even talking about doing it right beforehand. In fact, Jesus didn't pray before he rebuked the devil. He just did it. And, and, the, and, and the, surely if there had been a formula, one of the disciples, because they had driven out many, would have said, hey, fellas, we forgot one step. <laughs> you didn't say it loud enough. In Jesus' name. You know, if you should have had more inflection in this thing. You didn't get it right. No, it had nothing to do with the formula. It had to do with their prayer life and abiding in Him. That's what it had to do. That's what it had to do with. And we see that because you see that in prayer, you and I come into God's presence, and when we leave our prayer time, God goes with us. Is that true? God goes with us when we spend time in prayer. That, by the way, you want to know one of the best ways to be filled in the Holy Spirit? In your prayer time. You say, like, like begging Him to fill you? Well, no, I always pray and ask Him to fill me. But when you're just being in His presence, He begins to fill you. And you can tell. You go in there, you feel like a louse, and you come out feeling completely different. Is that true? That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what that is. And when you go out with him, he goes with you. We see that in Jesus' life. In Acts chapter 10 to 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of who? The devil, spiritual warfare, is an enemy at work because what? God was with him. That's it. This was the same as what was seen in the Old Testament, where whenever the ark set out, God's enemies were scattered because God went with them. In fact, Moses said, I'm not going out if you don't go with me. Remember when he said that? And he also wrote uh, and, uh, and said that whenever the ark set out, Moses said, rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your flows or foes flee before you. <clears throat> Jesus claimed that he lived in dependence on, on the Father through prayer. He said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Not self-sufficiency. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And that's why he prayed so much. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Listen to me. If Jesus had to pray much how much more do we need to pray amen is that true yeah <clears throat> it's a mistake i don't want to even go down this road because then i need a whole message <clears throat> and i know you won't stay but it's a mistake to think that everything he did he did just because he was God. That's a complete mistake. That's false teaching. He did it because he was empowered by the Spirit and he modeled for it for us, how we're supposed to do it. He modeled prayer for us. He modeled ministry for us. He modeled everything for us. Amen? He was the perfect second Adam, as, as Paul called him. So, that's why he prayed so often. <laughs> and he modeled that he used prayer and fasting to fight against Satan in his own personal life. For example, in the wilderness, Jesus faced three powerful temptations from the devil. That's spiritual warfare again. Amen? Where does temptation come from? Huh? Yeah. And he, and he tempts us in our weakest areas. James talks about that. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What did he do in preparation for this great test? After fasting, 40 days and 40 nights. There it is. The greatest temptation he faced, however, was where? Where, where did Jesus face his greatest temptation? <clears throat> in the Garden of Gethsemane. Exactly. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, knowing that he would be put to death shortly. Uh, so he told his disciples that he was going to pray in Matthew 26, 36. And he continued in verse 38, he said, my soul is, what's the word? Have you ever heard, of, have you ever heard that word being talked about nowadays, particularly after COVID? I hear your pastor talk about it. He was overwhelmed. Overwhelm isn't new. Did you know that? It's not new. Jesus has experienced everything you have experienced, including overwhelm. True? With sorrow to the point of death, stay here and keep watch with me. Tremendous stress and overwhelm. Here Satan would throw the greatest temptation of all, not to go to the cross. That's why he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, and then he submits, not my will, but yours be done. His exhaustion, overwhelm, and temptation of the, from the devil was so strong that when he went into the presence of his father through prayer, the father responded by strengthening him. He did? Yes, he did. 
Luke 22, 43, the very next verse says, an angel from, the, from heaven appeared to him and what? He'll strengthen you in prayer. You want to uh, take care of the stress and overwhelm in your life? Go to him in prayer. Seriously. Seriously. The result was that he passed the test and he went to the cross with eyes wide open. Now let's contrast that with the disciples. Jesus had asked his disciples to what? Pray with him. Yeah, watch and pray. But when he returned, he found them sleeping. Now I'm not, gonna, I'm not throwing daggers at the disciples because I get him. I actually get them. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep. What? Exhausted from? They also were in overwhelm. They're completely exhausted and com in complete overwhelm. And that overwhelm just exhausted them, the sorrow and everything, and they just dropped off to sleep. You know what? I don't cast a stone against them for that. Because I bet I would have been one of them. And the, but why were they sleeping? Because they were lazy and carnal? No. We're wrong to read this as though they were lazy, carnal men. They weren't. They were exhausted and in overwhelm from sorrow. It was beyond human endurance. They couldn't take it anymore. Couldn't take it anymore. And understanding that they were exhausted and overwhelmed, how did Jesus respond to them? Did he say, I get it. You're in complete overwhelm and exhausted. Get some sleep. No, he didn't. He didn't. He said, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not what? He knew that if they slept, they wouldn't have the strength of God to withstand the temptation that was coming. And what was the temptation? To deny Jesus and to flee from him. And he knew it. He knew that they were about to face this greatest temptation. And he knew that they would fail if they didn't get into the presence of the Father through prayer the way he did. Once again, the disciples exhibited a defective faith. The faith of self-reliance, self-sufficiency. Listen to what Jesus had warned Peter just a few verses earlier. That Satan intended to tempt him. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. In fact, Jesus even forewarned Peter that what the temptation would be. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. How many times do temptations come to you and you know exactly what the temptation will be? <laughs> many times I have no idea it's coming and I have no idea what it is. Amen? I mean, sometimes we know. Jesus tells them exactly what Satan's coming against him with. And he says, you better pray. I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I know you're overwhelmed, but you better get into the presence of the Father or you're not going to make it. Amen? See Peter's self-sufficient confidence in the face of such a warning. Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death so I can go to sleep. <laughs> Again, I'm not, I'm not pointing a lot of fingers. You know, I, I'm not, maybe half a finger at Peter. The rest I'm pointing at myself. You see, good intentions aren't good enough. He says, see, I already know what the temptation is going to be that's coming against me. So I know what I'm going to do to counter that. I have a good intention. I will not succumb to that. 
and his best intentions, best methods and practices were not sufficient to stand against the temptation, even though he was completely clear-eyed about what was coming. Can you imagine that? You see, we have no idea just how strong the devil is. Amen? He's stronger than we think he is. But that's another point. So, uh, watch and pray. So you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is what? But the flesh is weak. I mean, often we, uh, best intentions and a, even the will that says, I will do the right thing isn't sufficient if we're not in the presence of God. Best intentions, best methods and practices, and best, uh, and a strong will are not sufficient to take on the enemy. Not sufficient. I wish they would teach this in our high schools. And in our schools. That's why our kids are failing. Is a sufficiency in the wrong things. You see, Jesus advises us how to avoid failure and temptation through prayer. Your prayer life is a measure of your confidence in yourself to handle problems, trials, temptations, and spiritual warfare. It is a, it is a predictor of whether you will withstand them. Did they pray? No. They slept and they failed miserably. All the disciples, and again, I'm not pointing fingers at them. I'm just telling, telling you what the scriptures say. The disciples deserted Jesus and fled. Peter denied the Lord, just as Jesus had warned him. Jesus was overwhelmed. When he prayed, he passed. The disciples were overwhelmed. They slept instead of praying. They were not strengthened, and they failed. All this teaching is actually summed up in something many of you have memorized. And it's, in, it's found in, in John chapter 15, verse 5. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Yes, if you remain in me, abide, prayer, be with the Father, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do a thing. Why do we keep thinking we can even when we memorize the right verse. Amen? <laughs> okay, one last problem, and I'll move quickly. Why then are we so self-reliant? Why is our faith so defective? Why do we pray so little? One reason is that we don't believe in a real devil. It's not the only reason, but it is a reason. I mean, the disciples believed in a real devil, maybe, uh, but they... They def definitely thought they could counter him in their own strength. So they didn't believe in the strength of the devil. The reality of a devil and of demons hasn't been questioned in historic Christianity until recently. Yet this topic is more relevant to the condition of the world than all talk about politics and international relationships. Because society doesn't believe in a personal devil or about evil dwelling within us, vast energy and resources have been expended trying to cure what are only the effects or symptoms of evil. Societies have tried to cure or curb the effects of evil through legislation and education and improved living conditions. You know what that is? Self-reliance. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't work on any of those things, but if you think you're going to beat the devil that way, it hasn't worked so far. And you thought the former Secretary General of the UN agreed. <laughs> he was speaking years ago about the requirements for peace before 67 distinguished scholars, statesmen from 19 countries, and an audience of 2,500 people. And he asked this, and I quote, what element is lacking so that with all our skill and all our knowledge, we still find ourselves in the dark valley of discord and enmity? What is it that inhibits us from going forward together to enjoy the fruits of human endeavor 
and to reap the harvest of human experience. Why is it that for all our professed ideals and hopes, our skills, peace on earth is still a distant objective seen only dimly, seen only dimly through the storms and turmoils of our present difficulties? He summed it up perfectly, didn't he? The question, I mean, not the answer. The apostles had already answered the question, saying that the problem we face is a real devil who is behind much of the trouble in the world today. Peter said, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Which is why Paul exhorted us to be strong in the Lord, the Lord's mighty power, so we can stand against the devil's schemes. Is that true? He said, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For a struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces in heavenly realms. That's what we're fighting. And for this reason, this topic is more relevant than ever. Even salvation cannot be properly understood apart from a belief in the devil and his forces. Did you know that? For what was Jesus doing on the cross if not disarming the devil and his cohorts? Colossians 2 says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. To be sure, Jesus was dying on the cross for our sins, but that wasn't the only thing he was doing. He was invading the strong man's house, the devil's house, to set free souls held in captivity by the devil. And that's what he's referring to in Matthew 12, 29. You can look it up. We don't have time. So Paul says the weapons we fight the devil and his demons with are not the weapons of this world. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have what? Divine power to demolish strongholds. I heard Pastor Stephen talk about these spiritual weapons there he's referring to in his intro there before. Legislation, education, good intentions, best methods, strong will, practices are all fine, but they're grossly insufficient in the face of our enemy, the devil. Prayer and fasting are chief weapons we must use in combating the devil to free our families and others and to ward him off in our own lives. And that's exactly what Paul ended his passage there in Ephesians 6 with, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So, let's bring this to an end. Even in the face of overwhelm and exhaustion, we need to repent of the following three. And I include myself. Self-confidence, prayerlessness, and unbelief in the reality of a devil and demons. So right now, why don't we just take a moment right now to just confess and repent of that. All right? Go ahead and do that just personally, quietly there where you are. You can journal it if you like. Go ahead. And then continue in your prayer and commit yourself to grow in prayer again. And fasting.
All right, and then let's go to the weekly challenge. Attend the Sunrise Prayer Summit. Pastor Stefan is inviting you to this Wednesday and perhaps the resting prayer in the evening. And start an answers to prayer section in your journal. It's just a practical way to help you. Get that prayer thing going and keep it going. Each day, record your answers to prayer. Include answers to so-called little prayers. Include answers to corporate prayers. And add some form of fasting to your prayers each week this year. Do that. And if you do that, you'll have something to be thankful to begin your prayer time with. And that'll stoke faith and inspire you as you begin your prayers that day. You begin to look for and you'll see what, that the Lord cares even about the countless little things in your life. And then, uh, because you want to fill in something, you'll be reminded and motivated to pray each day. That's how I recorded 25 answers to prayer this last week, and I won't tell you how many in 2022 unless you ask me privately. And, but I got at least one recorded answer to prayer each day of 2022 except one day. And yeah, so even the little ones, I, 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 the little ones, like here, here's a couple, like I got confirmation from a sermon from something that was said, uh, sent to me in a text yesterday from Pastor Stefan. He said something and I went, oh my goodness, this is what I'm supposed to preach on. Uh, I met somebody yesterday that I was specifically praying that I could meet when I would go out into the community. I found an important notebook. In the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit told me where that thing was. It was hidden in a suitcase. And I needed it. I was desperate. He gave me insights for the sermon today. I got an important appointment with a surgeon at exactly the right time. At a perfect time that I need. And I was begging him for some of these kinds of things. I'm, I'm telling you, put, put those kinds of things in there. It's not just those massive ones. Do I have answers to some big ones? Yes. But I can't tell you what they are because it was you. No. <laughs> All right. Are you going to join me in prayer? Amen. God bless you.